think there's an opportunity here for providers to get a, a, a little bit of reprieve. Uh, but it also creates what I think is going to be going forward a new perspective on, on what is DME and the importance of DME in future pandemics. I'd like to welcome you to the 12th episode of the DME Coach Podcast, where we help you navigate the DME apocalypse that we are currently in. Oh my, I'm going absolutely bonkers here. I almost can't contain myself. I am so excited. I'm like, please may it be true. Please may it be true. Please may it be true. Now let me tell you why I am so excited. Last night on Twitter, now that should be a warning. If I say last night on Twitter, it's like, uh uh-oh, what was there? AA Home Care dropped the breaking news that the Senate stimulus bill will extend rural relief as well as eliminate the 2% sequester cuts during the COVID-19 emergency. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. This, this, this is such a game changer. I, I've had the football pulled away from us so many times. I am obviously cynical as we should be cynical. But this is what AA Home Care wrote last night. The Senate is expected to pass a $2 trillion stimulus package, which we've all heard about. Now, what it would do in the HME policy, you it says it's going to extend the 50-50 blended rate in HME in rural and non-contiguous, non-competitively bid areas and establishing a new 75-25 blended rate for all other non-competitively bid areas through the duration of the COVID-19 health emergency. The 75-25 blended rate provision is retroactive to March 6, 2020, while the duration of the current emergency is impossible to predict. Capitol Hill contexts have noted us that the Zika virus public health emergency, PHE, lasted 360 days. So this is good news for us. It also would temporarily eliminate the 2% Medicare sequester reduction that went into effect in 2013, and that would be effective from May 1st to December 31st. Once I read this, I had to, I, I thought it was what I thought it was. So I went and I forwarded this to my executive team. They're like, yeah, this, this is looking what it's looking like. And uh, yeah, last night they passed it 96-0 in the Senate. Very, very good. Now, um, at the bottom of the podcast, I'm going to have a link to the actual document. So if you want to see it, it is there. Uh, John Gallagher tells us the exact page number that it's on. So uh, the the link's 880 pages long. Just go straight to, I think it's 383 is the page in the document if you want to see it for yourself. Um, but John is absolutely brilliant. He gets into it. So hey, here is John Gallagher, Vice President of Government Relations at VGM and Associates. Okay, John. So the reason why I, I wanted to talk to you is, one, I have a podcast that I put out every single week, but two, we've been nailed with all the reimbursement cutbacks, and then I saw what AA Home Care released last night. So tell me, what's happening behind the scenes right now? What's going on and what might be passed? Well, a lot is going on. Uh, as you know, the Senate was passing a $2 trillion bill. 
Uh, it has everything under the sun into it, uh, what they'd call a Christmas tree, which is that anybody can hang an ornament on it. It was delayed mainly because everybody was trying to put their own ornaments on the tree. And uh, so when you look at it from the standpoint of uh, how does it in fact our constituency or the DME constituency? And I have to give a uh, tilt of the hat to uh, Jay Witter at A Home Care and and the folks from Mains and South Dakota with their relationship with Senator Thune, they were able to get language into the uh, Senate side. Uh-huh. And also Senator Grassley's office, I should do that. And I apologize, I went upstairs, so if I'm hoping uh, you, talking, you, that's you, what that Yeah, was. you sound great. Um, but the language, if you had a chance to take a quick look at it, I, I, I've looked at I, I've looked at the language, and it's one of those. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic, but I've been I you know I saw the seventy five twenty five split. It looks like it's towards the you know it would it would be in effect to the end of this year. Did I say that right? Yep. Well, we'll kind of go yeah, through it. Please do. Uh, and it's on if if you're looking at the bill, it's page three eighty three. Beginning of 383 mm-hmm. of what 600 some page bill, 800 page bill, uh, under section 4410, the title is Revising Payment Rates for Durable Medical Equipment under the Medicare Program through Duration of the Emergency Period. So, what this language does is during the PHE or the Public Health Emergency that was declared by the government president uh, during this period, this language would be in place. And so what it would do under the first, under A, rural and non-contiguous areas uh, of the competitive bid program would continue to get the 50-50 blend beyond December 31st, 2020. And what does that mean? Well, right now, everybody, as you know, the the rural rate would be a 50-50 blend based on the unadjusted rate going back to 1 January 2016 and 50% based on the competitive bid rate for your region. So that's how they come up with the rural, which in this case for auction would be somewhere around 125 bucks or what have you for your regional area. And then just using auction as an, as an example, because that's the main concern uh, of the COVID uh, emergency declaration as far as dealing with the Their big concern Absolutely. is obviously events and all that good stuff. So under this provision, it would be during, and if you read towards the end, uh, uh, planned through December 31st, 2020, and through the duration of the emergency period. What does that mean? Well, it means normally if you go back and look at history, because that's always kind of our best guide, under the last two um, PHEs or or public health emergencies, uh, that would be SARS and H1N1. Both of those were beyond 365 days or a year. In fact, I think H1N1 was somewhere around almost two years, a year and a half. So what would this, what would that mean? Based on the enactment, this would then go through sometime next year, some this time next year, what have you. So that helps folks kind of figure out where that, where their, you know, this process is going to go. Now in the second provision, which is areas under then uh, then rural and not, uh, and non-contiguous areas. So that would be like I, that would that, be like I have four stores. My Ellensburg store is 
total rural. I have great, re- well, not great reimbursement, but I have the 50-50 reimbursement. But my other three stores, Sela, right. Yakima, as well as Sunnyside, they are just like, I'm stuck in this horrible reimbursement quandary. We've gotten by. So that that is now what we're talking about. Those areas, they're not city, cool, they're right. not rural. They're in, And that's called what? That's called, what's the definition of that one? Other than other rural. Other than rural. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the... Well, under this provision, it would be other than rural and non-contiguous mm-hmm. areas. So non-contiguous areas would be your Alaska, Guam, Hawaii, and so on and so forth. So factoring the 50, lower 50, if you will, uh, the the rural and non-contiguous areas would be, and that's where we're trying to get some definition on this, because we would automatically think uh, non-rural areas. So areas that are getting the non-rural rate. But as you know, Currently, under this program, competitively bid areas are factored as, as any willing provider or structured under the current competitive bid program. So we're trying to see where that fits in based on this language. We think it will be uh, included in. So what it, the provision then says is, is that based on the fee schedule amount for the area is equal to 100% of the adjusted payment amount established under Section where instead of a reference of dates of service from March 6, 2020, through the remainder of the duration of the Emergency Act. So what does that mean? What it means, it would be the non-rural areas, and we think competitive bidding areas would be included in here, but once again, I put a caveat on that. We're trying to get definition on that. Um, and that'll probably flush out the next, as soon as it passes, if we'll get confirmation from CMS. Mm-hmm. But it, what would it mean would be your non-rural areas that you talked about, Yakima and those areas, they would get the 25-75 blend. So what would that mean? That would mean you'd get uh, 75% based on your regional area of competitive bid rate under the current program. So what uh, would be Portland, Seattle, Boise, those areas? Exactly. And, and what would be your non-rural area? And then 25% would be based on that unadjusted rate, which would be the 1 January 2016 rate. Using basic basic math, you look at your oxygen, just once again oxygen, going from, what is it, about 71, 72 yeah, there right it's now? it's that pathetic. Yeah, it's 71, 72 bucks. So you'd be looking somewhere about that 100, 100, 101 bump. So you'd go from 72 to 101 in those areas. And that would be, once again, during the duration of this this uh, public health emergency, which likely would be sometime next year or even So years. we'll find out for sure once the bill drops. And then going back to American Correct. Government 101, it's got to be signed by the president. And then once it's signed, then we right. can actually look and ask CMS for confirmation of things. Now, I'm already looking forward right. to November. I would assume this would get us through to the end of this year. And then we finally find out what the new competitive bid rates are, and then we can kind of start planning in 2021. Did I did I guess correctly where I think this is going? Well, yes and no. Um, it would depend. And once again, we're still pushing because I believe there's going to be either a, a fourth or fifth rendition of, of the uh, COVID uh, relief. So this was number three, as you know, mm-hmm. this is the relief number three bill. There's likely to be a fourth and fifth. Now, Senate is not planning to come back after they've done work here uh, until April 20th at the soonest. Now, that gets awful close to August recess and elections and all that good stuff, depending on how all this plays out. 
So what it what it does mean is if they come back with another package, one of the pushes that we will have is obviously saying, hey, due to to due to this public health emergency, they should suspend or delay the next go around competitive bid. Now, some people would say, no, let's do the competitive bid because we'll probably get better rates. People, we've hit the floor. Well, there's some truth to that. But I don't think CMS is going to be prepared to come out with the next round with everything that's on their plate right now with the PHE or the public health emergency. So the push would be in the next go around to try to get them to delay, particularly vents. It makes no sense coming out with a competitive bid at the end of the year, vents, when, which will limit, I mean, by all definitions, will limit capacity of providers to provide for the events. The at the very same time that they need to expand capacity at an enormous oh, rate. Oh, exactly. I think CMS understands that. So particularly you folks in Washington State, I mean, come on, you guys are the epicenter that started. So, you know, they need you to be able to provide vents. And, of course, as you know, they've expanded vents to definition of BiPAPs and CPAPs. Well, all that requires who? You, the provider, to get those patients home and uh, keep them out of the hospitals and allow for the hospital to expand their capacity and the capacity to get those patients home. So we think that with the next go-around, there'll be a good push for that. That'll be something, obviously, we, we would want to work with folks in Washington State to get with Cantwell and Murray to make that happen because they can make it happen, uh, particularly through Senate Finance Committee. Mm-hmm. And we do the same here with Grassley and Thune and so on and so forth. But this was a good start to to give us, particularly with the rural and non-rural, to give us stability to say, okay, during this crisis, you know, you've at least got uh, 2575 in that in that uh, non-rural area. So those three that you talked about, Yakima and yeah, so on and exactly. so forth, you, you would get that. And also in the language it takes, I should have mentioned, I apologize, it, it in the language it goes to uh, a begin date of March 6th. So if this is enacted somewhere around 1 April, now, once again, go to your civics class. It's, it passed last night late in the Senate. It now goes to the House. They use what was called a shell bill, H.R. 478, I believe is the number, but they use, or 748, got my numbers disposed, but it's just a shell bill. And what that allowed them to do is once they passed it in the Senate, it goes back to the House. And the House can pass it by unanimous consent. In other words, two members of the House can be in the chamber and say, hey, by unanimous consent, we've authorized to pass this. It does not require the House to come back into Mm -hmm. session. If there's there's no one that objects under the UC or unanimous consent, then then it goes to the president to be signed. If someone objects and, you know, there are fringes on both sides of, of the aisle, Republican, Democrat, who probably aren't happy with either this, the too much money spent or not enough money spent. So if somebody did object, then it would have they would have to come back to vote on it, which would push it into next week. Hopefully that's not the case. They agree. Friday, it looks like they want to try to pass the unanimous consent. That gives them some time to whip, whip meaning get all their fringe members to, to not get crazy. Uh, and so that it passes, it goes to the president. Once that goes into place, then in those non-rural areas, you'd be able to go back and resubmit for, uh, for uh, your billing back to March mm-hmm. 6th. 
And so also as part of this, a little bit of and, work, but and also it. as part of this, we also get the 2% sequester into that as well, too. So does that Correct. get it from like 101 bucks up to 103 or is that already associated in that? No, it yeah. is not. So your point is well mm-hmm. taken. So that does, and that is across the board for all, all providers, hospitals, they would get that, uh, a suspension of the sequestration through, once again, the end of the PHE or the public uh, health care emergency. Wonderful. And just, I, I know we were talking oxygen, but this applies to everything in the demi post, such as CPAP everything. supplies, wheelchairs, yep. canes, walkers, you name it. So it would, it would literally Absolutely. infuse some cash into our business. And then we, as good you know good dealers what what should we do we should have more oxygen concentrators more ventilators and that's that should be our role and we haven't been able to do that because well they cut all of our funding and it's it's it's, so i i'm so tell me if i'm correct i'm very cautiously optimistic would you would you say the same thing i am very absolutely i i mean under these turbulent times and and crisis times to have a you know a little bit of ray of sunshine on the other end is is a great thing so i agree with you i think there's a opportunity here for providers to get a a little bit of reprieve Uh, but it also creates what i think is going to be going forward a new perspective on on what is dme and the importance of DME in future pandemics, because what you're going to hear coming out of this is we were not prepared for the pandemic. They have to be prepared for the next one. And they got kind of lucky because this one is, by all counts, you know, the mortality rate is not that high. We're about 1.4%. But, you know, the next, you know, 2018 or 1918 pandemic that comes through, they need DME more than they need anything else get those patients out of the hospital, keep them out of the hospital. So it's only those pandemic patients that are in there, but also get those patients that are recovering home. And so we need to be on the forefront as far as prioritization on PPE, protective equipment. We need to be on the forefront of of, uh, ventilators, uh, uh, stockpile of equipment. So when they come out, the government can right now, one of the concerns is the government's eating up all the the stockpile uh, or eating up all the, the manufacturing and they have that authority under the act where do we fit into that and and part of our message has to be back saying hey you you want us on the forefront we need to be considered just like a first responder getting those patients home right now one of the concerns and we just had a call uh with several senatorial offices is is to discuss ppe is that we've got uh offices or providers that have run out of ppe that are now going into the home with these patients, not knowing if they're COVID-19 or not, um, and and trying to take care of these patients without protective equipment. And would we ask the same of first responders or hospital staff? No, we would not. And why are we asking the very same of, of providers who are gonna help the hospitals keep those patients out of place, uh, out of the hospital? So that's a big discussion. I, once again, I think it's going to be after this is over to elevate the DME industry. Um, so I think the conversation will change. I, I'm hoping anyway to be to use your term, uh, you know, optimistic or, or cautiously uh, optimistic. Uh, looking maybe mm-hmm. cautiously. Uh, how do we, you know, how do we change that discussion about waste, fraud, abuse all the time? To okay, you guys are a first responder, or not maybe a first responder, but a in the home first responder, uh, whatever that 
terminology is going to be so they understand what it is that providers do on a day-to-day basis. So that's part of the conversation, but I think for the here and now, for the providers to know, they've got some stability with this language that's in there for those non-rural and rural areas. Uh, it gives us conversation going to the next uh, package. Uh, but what do, what do our providers now need to do? Well, they need to focus on um, the loan and grant opportunities that are going to be in this package coming out. So there's a bunch in here as far as for small businesses, what uh, would help you keep your employees on, on staff. Uh, you know, we're trying to dig into that and get that information. What are some of the tax implications to save this small businesses and so on and so forth. So as providers are looking at taking care of their patients, they also have to look at their business and what are the opportunities in this to, to take advantage of, not I hate to, the term take advantage of, but to utilize uh, to save their businesses and, and so that they can keep working with those patients. Absolutely. I, 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 I like to use the that, term, we want to be good stewards. you got to pay the bills current, but we also be needing to look yep. into the future because, yeah, in to use your terminology, in the home first responders. I love that. Absolutely love that. We have to be. I mean, and, and to going in there without proper PPE is just, I mean, would the cops do that? Would the firefighters do that? Would the hospital staff do that? But we're, you know, we're signing on folks to do that for DME, and it just it isn't right. So we got to elevate that. But how do we do that? Is providers have to have a first name basis relationship with their departments of health uh, at the county level. They have got to be in there talking to their hospital administrator, their discharge planner, saying, "Hey, help me get these patients out of the hospital for you. Help me keep those patients at home." by working with the, the county health department to say, hey, we need PPE as well. And make us a part of that priority list as well. Because, you know, Washington, you guys are going to get, in New York uh, State, are going to get the, the lion's share right now of PPE equipment and ventilators and so on and so forth. But you guys got to be in there talking to those state and, and county health uh, councils saying, hey, what about us? Make sure you're, you know, you're thinking about us because we got to get those patients home. Well, good. Well, John, I don't know if I've told you this, but you're a rock star. So keep it up. Keep making those phone calls and oh, talking God. to everyone that you've done. We've, we've met, you know, in the past with many, many senators and, you know, Congress people. It's, it's like, it might've actually paid off for the years that we have been doing this. So Thank you so much. Thanks for uh, taking my phone call and letting me record this and putting it on the podcast. People just love hearing this, and this is another reason why I absolutely love VGM. So thank you so much, John. Oh, thank you, Eric. Okay, you take care. So if this goes through, you heard that right. For example, oxygen is going to go from $72 a month up to $103 a month. That's $31 a patient for our Medicare patients if you're in an area like where I am in Yakima, Washington. Now, if you're like in Seattle, Portland, Boise, I think it goes from like 78 up to 103 Oh, I'm sorry. You still get another $25 a month if this passes. So a huge shout out to John Gallagher. He has been working behind the scenes nonstop for years on this I've lobbied with him uh, several times driving over to Seattle to to talk with senators. But uh, this is not only John, this is everyone in our industry who has made a phone call letter. You guys have done wonderful, great, great job. It looks like we're going to finally move the football 
over the goal line. Uh, game's not over. Apocalypse is still here, but we are very, very close. So I will be, uh, we will be keeping you up to date. Uh, follow, follow AA Home Care on Twitter. I'll have that link in the show notes. They're really good about publishing things really uh, frequent. And so you'll see exactly if the house signs it and when they're going to sign it and what it looks like. And then as John said, a lot of it comes down to the language. What does that language mean? Because like last year, as we knew, rural wasn't rural. I mean, like some of my cities, they are rural. They're like 50 miles from any population center, uh, evidently, uh, CMS did not consider that role. So that's going to be coming out in the future as well, too. So uh, the podcast that was going to be this week on, hey, exactly why you need to have a coach, because if not, um, bad things can happen. Hey, just getting pushed off until next week, unless something else great happens, then I'll push that off one more week as well, too. But a huge shout out to John Gallagher. This is another reason why I absolutely love VGM. It allows us independents to bind together like a big guy. Um, if you're not part of VGM and you are in DME, home respiratory, join. please join VGM. They are a wonderful organization. They can do nothing but help you. So in the meantime, if you have any questions and would like to reach out to me, hey, dmecoach.com. Hit the subscribe on this podcast. I would love to keep talking with you, interacting with you. And hey, if you need a coach to keep surviving the DME apocalypse, reach out to me. It will be well worth your time. So until next week, treat your customers well, treat your team members even better, and talk to you next week. Eric Michelson with DME Coach. (music) 